right. Well, hey, grab your Bibles if you have them. And uh, if you need them, there's some on the chairs there around you. And uh, 662, I believe, is where we're headed, page 662, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. So we're going to stay mostly in Mark chapter 9 today and work our way through Mark chapter 9. And I'll, I'll have two verses I'll briefly flash up on the screen there uh, for you to consider as well. But Mark chapter 9, you're going to be starting in verse 14. Once you find your way to Mark chapter 9 on the pages of the Bibles there on the chairs, is page 662. All right. So um, today we're going to kind of have a case study, if you will, in spiritual warfare, what it looks like. Um, what, what we've been doing um, as we hit the month of June, as we've been continuing in our battleground series, is we've been looking at, well, how does spiritual warfare look? What does uh, it look like for demons to interact with us and our world so that we learn how to recognize what spiritual warfare looks like? And then we're also at the same time trying to, to grow and learn and how do we then respond to that? And so today's going to be a case study in that. And, and, and you'll see what I mean, because there's going to be several things we'll be able to point out and say, hey, look at this. This is something we can learn from. Hey, look at this. This is something we can learn from. But what I want to start us off with is we are so conditioned here in what we would call the West, which includes Europe, which includes North America, which includes Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, places that are influenced by the time period that we call the Enlightenment, where the scientific method was elevated, human reason was, was, was highly elevated. So if I can think about it, if logic can get me there, then that's what's right and what's true. But if it doesn't make sense, if I can't reason about it, if I can't come to conclusions logically, then it must not be real. Those are the kinds of things that ultimately have shaped the culture and society that we are living in. That if you go to places like Haiti or Africa or uh, many parts of Mexico or, or um, just some of these countries that were not so influenced by the Enlightenment, that's not the case. So we have a worldview then that splits the way we see things. We see physical, and then we either discount the unseen world, the immaterial world, or we put it in a category, in a box that we, we only take out when, it, when it's convenient or when we have no other possible explanation, right? But we will work our best to try to explain everything away before we open that box, right? But, but this, this case study this morning in Mark chapter 9 is going is to blur those lines that so many of us have created where there's a physical world and then there's an unseen world and the two don't interact. Because what we're going to see today is, oh, they interact, and we don't necessarily label the, the, the things that we see as what they actually are. We call them other things, right? And so here's where we're going this morning as we, we look at this. 662 is the page. Here's where we're going. Demons can impact us in physical ways. So that's going to get at the physical realm, the world we live in. Demons can impact us in physical ways, but Jesus can deliver us from the impact of demons, Demons can impact us in physical ways, but Jesus can deliver us from the impact of demons. Before we jump in, I don't have, I'm not going to put this part up on the screen. I either want you to follow along or just listen. I want to read through our verses this morning so that you get the whole story, and then we'll go through and kind of pull out a few pieces. So this is Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and I'm going to read through verse 29. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? 
And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and the spirit saw him, and immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to them, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never come in again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So there's several things here that I think are going to to cause what we might call some cognitive dissonance. The way I've always thought coming into confrontation with some categories or some realities that don't fit into the boxes that I have already. Because that's how most of us learn how to manage our world and our lives is we create categories or we create boxes. And as long as something can be filed away in a particular category or box, we are able to manage it and be able to press on. But if something confronts us that does not fit in one of those categories or one of those boxes, we get what's called cognitive dissonance. It creates this tension in our mind, and we're not sure what to do with it. We feel unresolved. We feel uneasy. We, we just don't know how to operate because I can't manage that. And so what our natural tendency is, is to try and as quickly as possible resolve that tension. And so we're going to either explain it away so that it fits in one of our boxes, or we're going to have to wrestle with, we're facing a reality that we've never considered before, and I've got to make room for it. And that, what that does is starts to stretch our mind, kind of like a rubber band. And you start to, to, to pull on this rubber band, and, and you're just kind of exercising the elasticity of that rubber band. That way, when pressure is put on the rubber band, it's already been stretched a little bit. It has that, that motion already in place. It's not going to just snap because it's being pulled for the first time. These kind of verses, the ones we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks included, are going to do that for, for many of you. And so let's go back through Mark chapter 9 and take a look. The first thing I want to I point out are some things where we see demons can, in fact, have a, a physical effect on people. They can, in fact, impact us in physical ways. Verse 14, when they came to disciples, so this is Jesus just coming off of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. They're in, an, in, a, in a predominantly non-Jewish area called Caesarea Philippi, and they went up on top of a high mountain, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. 
And this is where Jesus has that meeting with Moses and Elijah, these, these two uh, prominent figures from the Old Testament. They just appear with Jesus, and you've got Peter, James, and John there to witness it. And so there's this, this transfiguration where Jesus is changed in his appearance and so that Peter, James, and John see him in a more glorious way than they've ever seen him before. And so they see this all fold out. On, uh, uh, and then as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus tells them, I don't want you to tell anybody about this yet. Keep this between us. But as they come down that mountain and they're approaching the rest of the disciples, they see the crowd. And, the, and they see with the crowd, there's a group of scribes. Now, the scribes would be people who are educated in the Old Testament law. These would be Bible scholars who um, oftentimes part of their role was making copies of the scriptures. They would, they would painstakingly make copies as they looked at one manuscript and they transferred it to another. But they, would, they, they knew the Old Testament law very well, and so these were the ones you would go to if you had a question or you're trying to figure out how do I live in light of this. And so you, you see them coming down, and they're arguing, the, the disciples, and there's a crowd, and they're arguing with the scribes. Now the crowd sees Jesus, and they immediately are amazed when they see him, and so they run to greet him. Verse 16, and so then Jesus asks, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd, we learn this is the dad. Teacher, I brought to you my son, uh, and, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, pause there for a moment. Now, this same story, you will find it, uh, I believe it's in Matthew 17 and Luke 9. I, you, you'll find the same story. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels. And they're different from John. And if you've ever read through the four Gospels, you know the difference. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they seem to be more similar. And John seems to be standing on its own. That's what the word synoptic means. It's similar, same. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have a lot of the same stories being told. Sometimes the details are different because of who's, um, who's the audience. So Matthew's writing primarily to Jewish people, so he includes things that would be particularly pertinent to Jewish people. Mark's writing primarily to Roman citizens, and so he's going to have to explain some Jewish customs, or he's going to maybe leave some of the Jewish details out. Uh, and then you've got Luke, who's writing to the broader Gentile audience, and Luke interviewed a whole lot of people. But they also shared some of the material that they would have utilized. So either they had a common source, or they were borrowing from one another. And so you've got a lot of places where there's the same story in these three Gospels. This is one of those stories. Matthew, I believe it's chapter 17, and Luke chapter 9. And you would, by the way, in your Bible, you would have a footnote that would tell you that, or a cross-reference that would tell you that. But when you go and you read it in those other places, you find out Mark has a whole lot more details of this particular story than Matthew or than Luke. Now, I bring all of that up to say, here we're told the father says he has a spirit that makes him mute. Okay, pause there for a moment. Matthew and Luke, Luke says similar things. He has a spirit that makes him mute. Matthew simply starts out by saying he seizes. And then later on, we find out there's a demon involved. But Matthew presents it as there's, there's a boy who's having seizures. Mark and Luke let us know he has a spirit, and that spirit makes him mute. And then we're going to find out that he also has seizures. Okay? Hold that, hold that in there. So Mark here says, the father says he has a spirit, and the spirit makes him mute. He can't talk. Okay? That's a physical impact on a human being that the spirit is causing, this evil, unclean spirit, is preventing this individual boy from being able to speak. Okay, hold, hold that. 
We go on and, and, and the father keeps talking and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. Pause there for a moment. Now, if you and I came across a person and they all of a sudden dropped down to the ground and they started just kind of shaking real rigid-like and they, they maybe had foaming teeth and you could see grinding, we would have a description for that. We would, we would be able to identify something that we think might be going on there. What would we call that? Epilepsy. In fact, go back to Matthew's account, and the word that Matthew uses when he describes this boy uh, seizing is a Greek word that ultimately gave us the word epilepsy in our English language. And so when, when they were looking at this boy, they understood that this is something um, that is, that is um, happening in the brain. Now, they actually thought it was tied to the moon. And so then they would, it would be similar to calling them a lunatic, Luna for moon, crazy tick, right? They, they, they had kind of gone crazy and the moon had kind of influenced that, right? But we, we have something that we would identify based on our current medical knowledge. We would likely come to a conclusion that this person has some form of epilepsy. There's a seizure happening that's causing their body to, to get rigid, to shake, to foam at the mouth in some cases and to grind his teeth, right? That, and that's where we would stop, and then we would say there's medicine for that, there's treatments for that, we need to get them to a neurologist or something like that, right? This dad says he has a spirit and the spirit is causing him to be mute, he can't speak. And this spirit, this evil spirit, it seizes him, it takes hold of him and it throws him down, he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. That is all the impact of the unclean evil spirit in this boy's life. Demons can in fact have a physical impact on people. But in our westernized world, which is why I started out that way, we would look at this through a purely scientific, medical, observation-only lens. And we would say, I can explain that. Okay, I'm, 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 don't, don't draw too many conclusions just yet. I can explain that, we would say. So the dad says, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they weren't able now, this is significant. This is, a, this, is a, this is a big point in the life of the disciples because even just in Mark's gospel alone, we've already seen that Jesus has given his disciples the authority to go and cast out demons, and they've done that. We have other places already in Mark's gospel alone where the, the disciples have come back to Jesus and say, we've seen demons flee in your name. When you sent us out and you gave us authority to cast out demons, we went and we did that and it happened. But for some reason now on this one, they're not able to cast it out. Let's go a little further. Pause real quick. Karis, will you throw up that slide for me? I want to just show two verses to you before we go any further because we're, we're kind of mixing and mingling here. There's going to be other places where we see impact, physical impact by demons, but I want to show you two other places. Just for example, Mark chapter 5, verse 5, uh, an example of where a demon impacts a person physically. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, this is the, the guy who has legion in him, right? The, the thousands of demons. So we're told that one of the things that this guy who has thousands of demons does is he cuts himself with stones. Okay, we have a category for that medically, don't we? And we call it cutting, right? Self-harm. But we see here in Mark chapter 5, something like that is connected to this man having demons. Acts chapter 19, verse 16. 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and, empowered, uh, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's quite a comical story on the surface, but what's happening is this is the seven sons of Sceva and they get enamored with the power that they see uh, followers of Jesus casting out demons and they think we're gonna tap into that power. And so they go to a, a man who has some demons and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And these demons say back to them, well, we know Jesus and we recognize Paul, but who are you? See, they weren't, they weren't operating in faith and they weren't operating in the authority of Christ. But then what we find out is the man who had the demons, the evil spirit, he actually then causes harm to someone else and that's motivated by the demons. Okay, thanks, Curtis. You can throw me back there. So there's two other examples where you can see in the scripture and there's more, but I'm, I'm trying to just put before you demons evil spirits, unclean spirits, unseen oftentimes spirits interact with the physical world as we know it. And they interact with us in physical ways so that they can cause things that sometimes we would just label as we'd have a medical answer for it, or we might have some kind of physical rational explanation for it. And yet what we're seeing here is sometimes, sometimes the category could be it's demonically influenced. Because this boy looks like he has epilepsy. And you know what? Let me just go ahead and say this now because I'm going to say it a few times. I'm going to keep talking about the medical things or the physical things we see being caused by demons. And you need to know there's, there's categories for this. There's absolutely a category for this may not be demonic, right? I'm, I'm having epileptic seizures. Um, I struggle with cutting myself or um, suicide would fit into this, right? Uh, I'm having suicidal thoughts or um, I have some kind of other physical um, disability or sickness or something. There's absolutely a category that is, that is, it's clear that this is not demonically influenced, okay? So we're not gonna automatically jump to, well, these are always demonic influence. But what I'm having to do for us because of how westernized we are is I'm having to say, yes, but we can't throw out the category that it could be demonically influenced, because most of us don't have a category for that. That something physical going on in our lives could be demonically influenced. It may not be. I shouldn't necessarily jump there unless I have a reason to jump there first, right? But I need to have the categories. This unseen realm interacts with what I see, and I may try to explain it away scientifically, medically, and it may be more than that, okay? Demons can impact us in physical ways, but Jesus has authority over demons. So let's keep going. Verse 19. So this is Jesus's response. The disciples couldn't cast it on. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And then he says, bring the boy to me. So they bring the boy to him. Now look at the evil spirit in the boy. Look at his response. He's just being brought before Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Again, we would see that and we would identify that likely as epilepsy, some kind of seizure type of disorder, dis diagnosis, something like that, right? But this evil spirit knows who Jesus is and he responds when he's being brought before Jesus. He knows. He doesn't know because he's omniscient the demons are not omniscient. Demons don't know everything, but they know at this point that this is the son of God because Jesus has already been doing things. He's already been casting out demons. He's already been healing people. They know at this point, this is the one from God. They know this. 
And so he reacts to it. The, the, the spirit reacts to it. And he throws the boy into a convulsion again, throws him on the ground, has him rolling about, foaming at the mouth. All right, so then that prompts Jesus then to ask the father another question. This would be like, hey, okay, Jesus is taking an assessment of what's going on. We need more information. How long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. Pause. The word that's used there, from childhood, is a specific word that helps us identify the age range of this boy. The word used there for from childhood limits us to this boy has not yet hit puberty. Okay, so we're talking about a younger boy who has not yet hit puberty. Now, he could be an infant all the way up to a boy who is just, just about to hit puberty, but this word encompasses that age range. Okay, so we've got a maybe at best a, a brand new teenager, maybe 13. I assume puberty started later in those days, right? Because less hormones, less all the kind of stuff that impacts our body. So let's say maybe a 13-year-old boy all the way down to an infant. It could be that range so far. That's what we've got. It's from childhood. So we don't yet know how old this boy is, but we just know he's been impacted by this, this evil spirit from that, that age range. And the dad goes on and the dad gives us more details. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. So the dad has an understanding at this point that the spirit is causing my son to throw himself into the fire or to throw himself into water to be drowned. Now you and I, pause, we would watch this if we didn't, we had this happening in front of us and we saw someone throwing themselves in fire or we saw them trying to drown themselves, we would have a category for that. We would be calling the, 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 the medical folks. We would be calling maybe our law enforcement to come put them under emergency watch. We would be categorizing them as a person who is suicidal right? Because they're trying to harm themselves. And yet this dad says the spirit, this evil spirit is what causes him to cast him into the fire and water. And the reason that the spirit is doing this, to try and destroy this boy. So one of the things that demonic beings do when they impact us in physical ways is they're trying to cause harm to someone who bears the image of God. Think about this for a minute. God creates male and he creates female and he creates them both in his image. The image of God is a large topic, but one of the things we know that the image of God certainly has to include is something about our physical bodies and our gender, male and female. That's included in the image of God because the, the, uh, the text in Genesis tells us he created male and female in the image of God and we know they're different. Right? So therefore, there's something about males in their maleness and something about females in their femaleness that both reflect the image of God and that's different from one another. And yet there's a whole lot that's the same, right? And so we know that, the, that someone who bears the image of God then is going to be an affront to something that wants to rebel against God. And so when the demons impact and, 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 and demonize or afflict a person, one of the things they will often try to do is destroy the body and to take away the life because to do so would be to attack the image of God in that person, right? And so it's destructive behavior. Now, again, I'm gonna pause and say this. We have categories for these things that we would explain it away. Most of us would not have the category that a person who's committing suicide or trying to commit suicide or who's inflicting self-harm on themselves, most of us would not have a category that goes to demonic. Most of us would go mental 
right? We would explain it with chemical imbalances. We would explain it with um, some kind of trauma, perhaps, in, the, in their past, and they're reacting to that. We would have all kinds of explanations, but most of us would not have demonic. So I'm going to say to you, there are those times where someone who is uh, suicidal in their thinking and they're, they're talking about it, they're thinking about it, or they've attempted it, there are some times where that is not demonic, It's not being directly caused by demons. There's a category for that. I will always say to you, it is demonic in nature though. It may not be directly caused by demons every time, but it's certainly demonic in its nature. But then there's a category for those people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts or they're struggling with wanting to harm themselves and they carry that out, that it could very well be more than what you see. It could very well be demonically influenced. And we've got to have a category for this because demons can impact us in physical ways. So he tells, the dad tells us that. And then there's this great, this great line. I heard some of y'all laugh and I know why you're laughing, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, part of this is, 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 He's saying this because he brought him to Jesus' disciples and disciples could not do anything. And so now this dad is saying to Jesus, if you can do anything, it's not that this guy is questioning who Jesus is so much. Now, he is not likely a Jewish person, right? So it's not like he has that full knowledge like the disciples might have or like some of the Jewish people who are looking for Messiah. But he knows enough to know this guy has a reputation and his disciples have a reputation because they've been traveling around casting demons out. And from a father's standpoint, let's just put ourselves, this will, let's just put ourselves in his shoes for a moment. From childhood, So either an infant all the way up to 13, we'll narrow that down a little bit more in just a moment. From childhood, you've watched your son be tormented in this way. And you know, the dad seems to know at this point, it's a demon, an evil spirit of some kind. And yet there's absolutely nothing he can do. He watches his son get thrown down onto the ground, rolled around, grinding teeth, foaming. He watches that happen. And he watches this spirit throw his son into a fire or into water trying to destroy himself. And there's nothing this dad can do up to this point. He's not been able to do anything. And so he's doing everything he can. And so he's bringing them to these people that he's heard that can cast these things out. And so if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so Jesus, I don't know that it's so much of a rebuke as a if you can, and then it's a redirect. All things are possible for one who believes. Now he's already said, oh, faithless generation, right? So that, in, that includes all the people that were that living in that time who had seen what Jesus was already capable of doing. And he says, oh, faithless generation. But now, now he's directing towards the dad. If you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. Dad, do you believe? And so his prayer, one of the great prayers in the Bible, the father immediately cried out and says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other places in Matthew and Luke, one of the things they connected this story to is the statement of Jesus, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you can tell this mountain to move and it will move. It doesn't take much faith. It doesn't take a great person of faith. It takes a mustard seed. And Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And I just got to stop there because this is a question I have to ask myself. And so I think we all probably need to ask ourselves, 
do I believe? And I'm not talking about, do I believe in Jesus for salvation? That, 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 that's certainly something. But no, hey, believer in Christ, do you believe that Jesus has the authority to take a young boy who's been struck with seizures his whole life and a spirit that's tormenting him and tried to kill him from childhood? Do you think Jesus has the authority to overcome that? Now, we read the story, and we know where it's going, and so we say, of course he does. So then the next level we go to is, if it happened in this room right now, do I believe that in this room right now, Jesus has authority over someone who might have an evil spirit doing those kinds of things to him? And can he deal with it? Do I believe that right now? If I'm being honest, if you're being honest, intellectually, many of us would say, Yes. Theoretically, yes. But in the back of our minds, if we really start to put ourselves in that position, here's the kind of stuff that goes through our mind. But what if he doesn't? And how does that look on God? And how does that look on me? Right? How does that, how does that uh, um, help or hurt the person who's been afflicted by the demon? How, how does that help him or her if God doesn't or nothing changes? And so we go through all those things, and then we say, but what if I can't do that, right? And, and we start to really, really, when we start to play it out in our minds, I think then we find ourselves in a spot where we have to honestly say, I don't believe. I can believe Jesus did it because it was Jesus. Now, Jesus had already given his disciples authority to do this. We're going to look in July about the authority Jesus gives us as his followers to do this. Do you believe you could do it in the authority of Christ? That's, that's the question that I think we all have to wrestle with because part of it is theological. Do I think Jesus gives me the authority? That's coming in July, right? But then the other part is, do I have enough faith do I believe that Jesus can and still does it? And am I willing to step into it for the sake of the kingdom of God coming into people's lives? And so I think then I believe, help my own belief. I believe I have a theoretical knowledge. I believe I have a theological knowledge. I believe, but Lord, help my own belief because I'm not necessarily willing to step into it. That's probably where most of us are. I believe, but help my unbelief because God, I'm not really sure it could happen if it actually happened here. I believe, but help my unbelief. I think that's probably, if we're being honest, where most of us would land. And so we can identify with this father and imagine, he just, he just wants his boy delivered. So when Jesus saw there's a crowd starting to gather, verse 25, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. By the way, pause there. I told you I was going to narrow down the, the age of the child. Here's that word again. Immediately the father of the child. So now he's talking about the child in a current state. So we said earlier that word can mean anything from infant up to a, uh, just before puberty. And so that, that was the answer to the question, how long has this been happening? And, and so we said, well, he's at least been demonized since that time frame. But now we're having a description of the child in his current state as he stands before Jesus and the father of the child. So that child is still currently in that point between infant and puberty. He's not a child past puberty age. He's an elementary aged kid. Okay? That should raise some questions. Not, it's possible, not 
not always the case, but it's possible that an elementary age kid can certainly get involved in something that opens that kid up to demonic influence. It's, it's entirely possible. But we have to wrestle with, we have a young child, possibly an infant, but no older than, than puberty, and this kid has had this demon tormenting it for we don't know how long, from childhood. Where did it come from? How did the child get it? And we're left to speculate, to be honest with you, because there's a possibility, one, the child has done something because maybe the child's old enough that they can participate in something that certainly opened the child up, and so they got a, a, a demonic uh, stronghold in their life. Here's some other categories we have to, to, to wrestle with. It could be something that the parents are doing in the house. This is a non-Jewish area. Caesarea Philippi was well known for its pagan worship. And so it could be that the parents are worshiping many false gods or some false gods, and so they're doing things or they're participating in things that would be opposed to God, which would then open them up, and that could impact the people in their house. There's also a category for what sometimes is called a generational spirit. That's for another day. But that would be the spirit was in a previous generation of this child's family. And when that member of that family who had that evil spirit died, it then passed down to this kid. Those are the three categories that I can come up with at the moment. But all I, I, it's all speculation. Okay, I want you to see that. It's not in the text. But I'm asking the question, where did it come from? Where did this kid get this, right? Ultimately, ultimately, where this is going is Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. Now, I want you to pay attention to how Jesus do this, does this because Jesus has authority over the spirit. Jesus does not go to the boy who has the spirit and speak to the spirit in a polite, gentle way and say, hey, you know, you're really causing some harm. You're really tormenting this family. Is there, is there some kind of agreement that we can come to? Like there's there, another story, Jesus would send him into a pig. You know, may, let me send you here. Right? If you just leave, the, he doesn't do that. He also doesn't start to pray and then ask the spirit, uh, or, or just ask, hey, hey, God, would you, if you're willing, would you take the spirit from this person? He doesn't do that. He speaks directly to the spirit, and look what he calls it: you mute and deaf spirit. You remember how the the start, story started out? There was a spirit, an evil spirit, and it was causing the boy to be mute. Now Jesus addresses the spirit and he describes it as a mute and deaf spirit, which means then this spirit in the boy's case is at least causing him to be mute. He can't speak. There, there's nothing told to us about the boy being deaf, but this particular spirit can apparently also cause people to be deaf. So now we've got a spirit who has a particular type of assignment muteness and deafness, which is why if you've been around people who talk about the spirit of this or the spirit of that, these are the kind of biblical references we pull that kind of language from. There seems to be spirits that have particular types of functions and assignments so that we can say here clearly there's a mute and deaf spirit. And what we mean by that is that there's a spirit whose particular affliction on a person is to bring about muteness and or deafness. Now, half of my side of my family is deaf. Does that mean that every person who is deaf has a demon? No, 
There's a category for that could be a possibility. We have to allow a category for that now because Jesus addresses the spirit as a mute and deaf spirit. But if you go around and you, you start to identify every deaf person or every mute person, and oftentimes those two go hand in hand, right? If you start to identify every single person has a demon, you're jumping off the deep end. We need to have a category for that and we need discernment. And we shouldn't go automatically to the demonic if there's not a reason for that. Because we also know there are effects of sin on the brain that do cause things and effects of sin on the body that do prevent us from being able to function as we should. We need to have a category like that. But we already have that category. What we need to add to our category is there are spirits, evil spirits, in rebellion against God, and they can cause physical harm, and they can affect us in physical ways. And Jesus addresses the spirit, you mute and deaf spirit. And then, like I said, he doesn't request, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. A person who makes a command is a person who has authority. If a person is making a request, they don't have the authority. A person who has authority and is operating in that authority gives commands. And Jesus commands this spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. Now you would expect, man, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. That spirit comes out immediately, right? Nope. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. So one last hurrah, the, the spirit, after Jesus commands it to come out, this spirit gets one more round in where he inflicts harm on this boy. And then he comes out, which tells us if that was something Jesus, who is God, experienced, then we should expect that if we're involved in this kind of thing, that's something we're going to experience as well. And we shouldn't give up. And we shouldn't back down. Because Jesus has authority over demons. And this demon ultimately came out. And the boy was like a corpse. He appeared to be dead. So most people said that. And then Jesus took him by the hand and lifts him up. All right, there's one more thing in these verses as we go on to verse 28 and 29. So they enter the house and the disciples can't figure out, well, he did it. Why couldn't we do it? So that's what they asked. Why could we not cast down? He says, this kind. Let that sink in for a moment. This kind, this type, this class, this category, that's what that word means. Now we just read over this, but Jesus just revealed that there are different types, kinds, categories, classes of demonic beings. And be, given the context, that means some are stronger than others. And so he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, you should have a footnote. If you're reading King James, it'll just put it in there. New King James probably also puts it in there, and it will say, and fasting. If you have anything other than King James or New King James, you probably just have a footnote that says, and fasting. And so um, the reason that's like that is because um, some later manuscripts, as we were getting copies of the manuscripts later in history, the and fasting part started to show up in later manuscripts, but in some of our earliest ones, closest to the time of writing, and fasting is not there. It's just and prayer. And so um, scholars typically will draw conclusions from that, and they'll say, if it appeared later in history, as copies were being made, likely someone added that in for a reason. They wanted to emphasize fasting, or they wanted to um, make sure it's clear that it's not just prayer, it's prayer and fasting. Now, in this day, fasting was a normal thing. It was just expected. 
which is why Jesus says to his disciples, when you fast. He doesn't say, I want you to fast. He just says, when you fast. He assumes they would, right? And so there was no need for them to put uh, and fasting in the original because it was just part of a common practice. But what Jesus is emphasizing is the prayer part. The reason someone later put on and fasting could be, hey, their community wasn't fasting and they wanted them to fast, or they were a, a particular type of uh, Christian community that was really emphasizing fasting, so they wanted to make sure. There's reasons that we can explain why it got in there. That's why some translations have it and some don't. Bottom line is, Jesus says you can't, you can't just go and cast this kind out. It takes prayer. Now, does that mean they needed to pray while they were casting it out? Jesus didn't. Does that mean they needed to be prayed up? before they got to that spot. Probably more that route. That, does it mean that they were not operating by faith? So Luke and, and Matthew help us to know, because uh, Jesus' answer to them is slightly different in Luke and Matthew, and it just says, why couldn't we cast them out? And Jesus says, because of your faith. Oh, so then that helps us to know prayer and faith are going together here. So these disciples, somewhere along the way, lacked faith in their ability in Christ to be able to cast these demons out, and that faith is tied to prayer. Think about this. When I pray, I'm operating in faith. A person who genuinely prays is a person who's operating in faith. Why? Because I don't pray if I don't have faith in someone greater than me. I pray to someone greater than me because I believe that someone can do something that I can't do and that requires faith on my part. If I didn't have faith in someone greater than me, I wouldn't pray, I'd just do, which is what we oftentimes do. So prayer and faith go together and so when he says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, he's linking prayer and faith together. All right. Demons can impact us in physical ways that's horrifying, right? And I know this series is stirring up some anxiety for a lot of us, right? Because one, it's new. Most of us in, in the circles we run, we don't talk about this. We read over it and we don't preach on it, that's for sure. It, it's just not emphasized. And so it's new to us. So we need to give ourselves some grace. It's new to us. So we're, we're learning new things, right? But at the same time, the, the next thing that we typically are, are starting to feel is every little thing I do could start to open me up to a demonic. And so I want to, again, like I did last week, just, just put on the brakes and say to you, listen, it's important that we acknowledge these categories have to be there and that the unseen realm interacts with the seen realm. Got to have a category for that. But we should slow ourselves down from immediately jumping to I'm being demonized or this person's being demonized. We should, we should slow ourselves down from immediately jumping to that category unless we have reason to jump there right away, right? And, and those, some of those reasons would be, did I do something that would open myself up? Have I been practicing occult practices like we talked about last week? Um, have, I, have I been doing things and living in a lifestyle that is uh, unrepentant and opposed to God? right? Um, have, I, have I been around some other people and, and spent time, maybe some significant time with people who are participating in those kind of things? Then I might start to go that route quicker. Otherwise, I'm going to start doing the things that believers should normally do in our everyday life. I'm going to take every thought captive. I'm going to be aware of the thoughts that come in my, my mind. And if those thoughts are sinful, I'm going to call them sin. God, that thought came through my mind. That's not right. 
That's sin. That's lack of contentment in you. That is jealousy of someone else. That's coveting what they have, and I'm not content in what you've given to me. That's lusting after them, and I'm not content in what you've given to me, and I'm not satisfied in you. I'm going to call it what it is, and I'm going to repent of it. I confess it by calling it what it is, and I repent of it. I turn away from it. Lord, help me to not, not think this way. Instead, I'm going to fill my thoughts with things that are above, right? Maybe it's an action, right? So I've, I've committed some kind of action that's sinful. I'm going to call it what it is. As soon as I become aware that that's sin, maybe I knew it. It was a transgression. I knew it was sin and I did it anyway. I flat out rebelled. I'm going to call it what it is. Maybe I wasn't aware. I committed a sin, but I wasn't aware at the time it was sin. But now I'm becoming aware it was sin. Like last week's stuff. Some of y'all are coming aware some of that was sin that you didn't know. So now I repent of it. Well, I did it like two, 20 years ago. That doesn't matter. Repent of it now, right? That's what believers do. We, we continuously repent, right? There's a repentance that we talk about where I believe and I repent. That's leading to salvation, that's me changing my mind and my direction about who Christ is. But then believers in Christ, we repent on the daily. As I become aware of sin in my heart and in my mind and in my life, I repent of it. I call it what it is. If I'm unwilling to call sin what it is, I won't reach repentance. If I try to give it a nice name, I won't reach repentance. Repentance is I'm going to turn away from that because it is opposed to God. These are the things I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going, to, I'm going to study the scriptures and I'm going to learn more about who God is and how he's revealed himself so I know how to live in light of him. I'm going to fill my mind with these things. These are the things that Christians do on a regular basis as we grow in Christ. That's where I go to first. Now, if as I'm continuing to do those things, whatever that thing is, that, 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 that pattern of thinking that, that would be called a, a stronghold, it's a pattern of thinking that I just can't shake despite doing the things I should always do. Or it's a, it's a pattern of living that I can't shake even though I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the things I should be doing. Then I'm going to go to somebody and I'm going to say, I think there might be more going on here. I think there might be more going on here. Let's ask the Lord to show us this. Let's have someone come and pray about this. And if the Lord shows us, or even if we should think in that moment, there might be more, then we do what Jesus did in the authority of Jesus to the extent that we know. And so sometimes that, we're gonna have all the month of July to talk about this kind of stuff, but sometimes that means I, I got specific information about what's going on here. And so we might be able to say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that particular spirit, come out, just like Jesus did. There are other times we may not know exactly what the spirit is. And so we might say, let's take, for instance, if someone's got a pattern of thinking that leads them into um, depression, okay? And it's just, they can't shake it and, and it and the brain seems fine. We've ruled all that stuff out, right? And so we might say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that spirit that is causing depression. Or and maybe I'm not quite there yet. I might say, God, if there's something here, if there's something more, if there's a spirit of some kind that is causing depression, would you show us? And then maybe he does. And then we, we address it specifically. And maybe he doesn't to the, to the point where we're confident enough, but then we say, God, if there's anything here that's not of you, that's fine. Pray that. Pray to the, to the extent of the knowledge that God has given us. God, if there's anything here that is not of you, if there's a spirit that is afflicting this person in this way, then in the name of Jesus, we command it to leave. We pray that way. And we have the authority of Christ. We don't have the power. Christ has the power. But Christ lives in us.
The gospel is not just about Jesus coming to save human beings. The gospel is about the true and right Son of God, the one unique Son of God, who enters into the creation that He Himself created. And He comes and He lives and then He dies and He raises from the dead. And in that death and resurrection, He is bringing the kingdom and the judgment to bear on all of the spiritual beings that have been in rebellion against God as well. We've looked at Colossians 2.15 several times that in His death, He condemned them. This is Jesus bringing the power of the kingdom into this realm. And now Christ the King lives in us. And the power of the kingdom is ours to operate in if we operate by faith. That's part of our responsibility. Demons can, in fact, have physical impact on us, but Jesus has authority over them. So we're going to dismiss here in a moment. I've kind of gone long, and I want to make some time for you to have prayer available for you. So if you're part of the prayer team, if you go ahead and just find a place here in this room and maybe a couple of you make your way to that room 117, there is a room right outside this hallway. If you want a more private setting, there'll be people who can pray. You guys can go ahead and get to those spots now. Here in just a moment, we're going to dismiss. I'm going to let this just set for a moment, but then we're going to dismiss. These people, they, we've talked about these things with these people. They, they're here because they're comfortable praying for you. Come and tell them, this is what I need prayer for and they will pray with you regardless of what that is. So let's just let it set for a moment. Father, would you have your way with us? Show us the things we need to see. Open our minds that we might understand. Holy Spirit, teach us the things that we cannot grasp apart from you helping us to grasp it. And then lead us closer into a relationship with Christ because of it.